You're listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. On this edition, we'll get into the details of the state measure on the March ballot called Proposition 13. No, this is not the property tax measure. This is a school construction bond. This is a state construction bond. It will be funded through the general fund. It will repay the principal and the interest over time out of the state operating revenue, and our property taxes don't go towards that. I'm Laura Wenis, and this is Civic. San Francisco voters will join the rest of the state in voting on a California ballot proposition that would issue $15 billion in state bonds for facilities construction at schools, community colleges, and universities on March 3rd. The measure got onto the ballot after the legislature and governor approved Assembly Bill 48. This measure would allocate $6 billion for higher education institutions, including the University of California, California State University, and community colleges, and $9 billion would go to K-12 education. The measure is Proposition 13. To give you the details, we're talking today with John Fensterwald, a staff writer at EdSource. John has many years of education reporting under his belt, including having founded the Thoughts on Public Education website and as an editorial writer for the Mercury News in San Jose. John, welcome. Thank you for having me. Such so I commend you on your dedication to continually correcting the record on confusion around this proposal because there are two major points of confusion. And I think I want to start out with those right off the bat because, first, the measure is going to be called Proposition 13 and should not be confused with the 1978 measure by the same designation, which froze property tax rates at their 1976 assessed value level and limited increases to no more than 2% a year as long as the property wasn't sold. It is not (sighs) that Prop 13. That's true. How did this measure end up with this designation? Well, first, let me commend you for your good summary of that. And if everyone just read that and memorized it, probably clear a lot of the confusion. So easy, right? (laughs) Just memorize a whole paragraph. (laughs) Well, the number Prop 13s turns out to be unlucky for me because I'm constantly correcting people who are getting it wrong. It got to be 13 because the state goes through a numbering cycle. Every 10 years, it begins the cycle again. And in 2018, it started the latest cycle. And so we just happened to come on the number 13. The same number as Prop 13 in 1978, which was exactly as you described it. So people are constantly saying, well, this bond somehow will raise my property taxes or it will change the the assessments for commercial properties, which is what people may vote on in November, but not now. So I'm, I'm constantly saying, please wait till after March. Then we'll discuss that other issue, uh, which is the schools and communities first initiative. We'll get to that, but let's stick to the bond. Yeah. So actually, let's go there right now. That's the second point of confusion out of the two that I mentioned. There is another proposition related to schools whose backers are going through the signature gathering process right now. And this one is being put forward by a group called the Schools and Communities First Coalition. And it does have something to do with the old Prop 13. It would revise the previous Prop 13's limits on property taxes to increase tax revenues from business and commercial properties. 
oh my goodness, what is going on here? Why are the two being confused so frequently? This one isn't even on, on a ballot yet, right? No, it's not. It's through the signature gathering. But it's being sold as a revenue measure for schools. 40% of the money, estimated $11 billion to $12 billion a year, would go to schools. And so you know, now you're saying, well, we're doing a bond for schools, and now there's an initiative in the works that would raise money for the operating expenses of schools, and people would get, get confused. So yes, let's look into, look into that a little bit more closely. Because both initiatives are aimed at funding schools, at least in name, right. what are the major structural differences between how this March's Prop 13 and the potential November initiative would fund schools? Well, it's really the difference between how you fund construction and facilities and how you the state funds operating expenses for school. They're really different. And this initi- this Prop 13 on the March ballot is a construction bond. The state would issue bonds to help, actually, to help school districts and universities and community colleges with their own local projects. So the money raised here would help to lower the costs, actually, of local districts when they go to their own construction projects. So it's construction only. It has nothing to do with paying teachers or administrators or anything like that. Absolutely not. Those are operating expenses. Those are handled by the state in uh, its revenue for, in its funding for schools. All right. The sort of related confusion that comes up here about property taxes, I mean, I think it might arise because when people think of school funding, they automatically think of property taxes, plus there's the Prop 13 issue. So here's the question that comes up over and over again, and I think the answer to this is somewhat nuanced. Will this Proposition 13 raise property taxes if passed? No. I mean, very simply... No, <laughs> that's not too nuanced. <laughs> we can get into some of the you know real fine points of it, but no, because this is a state construction bond. It will be funded through the general fund. It will repay the principal and the interest over time out of the state operating revenue, and our property taxes don't go towards that. So this construction bond will not. The only possibility that it would y- your property taxes would be raised is if each district agrees to issue its own construction bond, that would raise property taxes. And the state construction bond could help them by perhaps lowering the cost because there's a matching funding here. The state raises money, gives the district some money to help with their construction costs. But if a district doesn't go out and raise another construction bond, no, no taxes will be raised. Okay, so if not through property taxes, how will the state pay for this bond? Because a bond is borrowing money, right? Right. It will come out of the state's general fund, which is funded by mainly income taxes primarily and uh, some other taxes, sales taxes. But that's how it will repay the interest on this bond over 35 years. That's what you do for bonds. You issue a bond and then you repay it back so that you can do the work and get the benefits right away. Then you repay for it over time. In this case, it would be 35 years of paying back the $15 billion principal and the $11 billion, which is estimated to be the the interest rates, bringing it to $26 billion over 35 years. It's about $740 million a year out of a state's general fund. Sounds like a lot, and is a, it is a lot, but it's about one-half of 1% of the total general fund.
Yeah, in fact, the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, which opposes this bond, argues that one of the problems with it is that to distribute these $15 billion in bond money, the amount that the state would have to pay, pay back, like you just said, is is going to be you know significantly more, approaching $27 billion. Well, the state has, you know, the state has a, a, some debt problems, but the interest rate, estimated interest rate on these bonds would be pretty low. 3% is what the legislative analysts issues. And of course, the point is what the uh, Howard Jarvis people, they make a point. Yeah, every time you issue a bond, there is interest, and we've been doing it for decades in California. Um, the issue is they say, well, take it out of the reserve. Well, that reserve is intended for a recession to, in case of a, as a rainy day fund. Oh, so what they're proposing is rather than issuing a bond, we should take the money from somewhere else where we don't have to borrow. Right. They say, hey, the state's got a surplus, and so take it out of that. Um, that's not the that's how, not how mainly uh, construction uh, construction projects are done. Facilities projects are done by you get the benefit over many, many years. So you issue a bond and then you repay back the interest. And you mentioned that we've been doing this for a long time. Is this a large bond, small bond in the context of how often and in what amounts California issues bonds for education? Right. $15 billion is a big bond, but it's been a while since we've included higher education in with uh, K-12 and community colleges. For example, the last bond that we issued, which was Prop 51 in 2016, was a $9 billion uh, bond issue, and that was uh, $7 billion for K-12 and $2 billion for community colleges. You have to go back to 2006 before there was a state bond that included the universities. Do we know why this is being done now, if, if we haven't done it in mm -hmm. the past very frequently? Yeah, well, Actually, during the um, early 2000s, when there was a, a significant enrollment growth, uh, there were bonds issued much more frequently. I think it was 2000, 2002, um, and then uh, 2006. I forget the exact years. We had, and so in 2016, which was the last one, uh, we issued again. It's a nine billion dollar bonds, and most of that money has been well. All that has been spoken for, most of it has been issued, and so. There is no money left. In, in essence, there, that is depleted. And, and so if you're looking for state aid to help you with your construction projects, you have to issue another bond. So basically, we've already spent what we raised with previous bonds. Yes. Well, they got one of the, you know, get into weeds. The governor, Brown, didn't want Proposition 51. He opposed it. And so he was really slow in releasing the money for this bond. There still is money left to be spent but it's all been spoken for. All the applications are in. They've approved. In fact, there's more than is left. And so that's when uh, Patrick O'Donnell, the assemblyman who, who sponsored this bill, came up with it this year. So I want to go back to something that you already spoke to a little bit, but I want to make it super explicit and, and clear for yes. anybody who, who might not be following uh, you know, property tax rules very closely. So the way that the funding would be distributed is, uh, if I understand correctly, as matching bonds, right? So the state would put up part of the money needed for, say, a renovation when a school district applies for it. But the local district still has to put some money in, too, if, if they can. And they might do that through a local bond measure. So locally that could raise property taxes, right? Right. They would, voters would have to agree to raise a bond for their own local construction project. And then if they don't, then this would have no effect. The state bond would have no effect. And, it, you know, it, 
whether they issue a local bond would be based on their own needs. And that's for voters to decide because they have buildings that are worn out, 50-year-old you know, portables that are still being used, and, and there's lead in their water, which this bond deals with as well. There are lots of reasons why people would issue bonds, and there's some new construction. There's still some new schools being built, even though there's a decline in enrollment across the state. Um, so if there's a need, then they would approve the bond. And if they want help with that bond, then they would apply to the state through the Office of Public Construction and apply, and they might be eligible for at least a portion of that. So here's a nitty-gritty aspect to the property tax question. Prop 13, the 2020 version, could raise the limits on how much school or community college districts can issue in local bonds based on the value of the property in the district. How could those ceilings change under Prop 13, and, and why would they? There's a limit on the assessed value of property in a district. You reach a limit, you can't issue any more bonds. And so what they're proposing is to raise the ceiling. It's now 1.25% for an elementary school district. 1.25% of what? Of the total value, assessed value in that district. Everybody's homes, everybody's businesses, put it together, and that's a big total. And you can only raise 1.25% of that total. That's the ceiling for a school district. If it's a unified school district, K-12, you can, it's, it's two and a half percent. It's bigger because it's a bigger district. And they're proposing to raise that ceiling to from 1.25% to 2% on an elementary school district and to, from 2.5% to 4% for a unified district, which is K-12, and a community college district. And so, there are a couple reasons I've heard for the for this. One is that you know there are there are sections of regions in California, like uh, uh, in San Bernardino County, um, for example, that area which was really hit by the recession. The values really haven't come back in some places to what it was in 2008, or it's slightly increased, and so that has placed a limit. You know those property values haven't increased, and so. The ceiling, the amount of assessed value is sort of low, and if you want to do do a major renovation or or a new building, it's going to bump up against that ceiling. Mm-hmm. That's one reason why you raise it to two percent. There are people who criticize this, but that's that's one reason. There again, it gets to the issue if you, when you go out and issue a new bond, you know they you know the voters are told this is how much we are raising, and if you don't feel it's worthwhile, then vote against it. And tell me, understand a little bit the logic behind limiting the amount of bond bonds that can be issued based on the assessed value of the land in an area. Right. I think well, it's recognition that there's only so much taxpayers can bear, and schools are just one source of taxes on your property. I mean, there 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 are, there are other, it goes to counties and it goes to cities. There are other districts as well. So there's a recognition. Everybody's got to have a limit. Everybody's got to have a piece of that. People's taxes don't rise beyond what they can afford to pay. And so you only see schools at one time, and then you forget that there are other sources too. And so, you know, it's a reasonable to put a ceiling on it. We'll get back to this conversation with education writer John Fensterwald in just a moment. You've been listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. KSFP and the San Francisco Public Press are supported by listeners like you. 
Learn more about our membership program and join the public press at sfpublicpress.org slash donate. You can make a donation online or send a check to the San Francisco Public Press, 44 Page Street, Suite 504, San Francisco, California, 94102. Thank you, and thanks to the hundreds of other Public Press members who have made our work possible for 10 years. Let's hear more from John Fensterwald, a staff writer at EdSource, about Proposition 13 on the March California ballot. So we've just talked a lot about property taxes and how this is all assessed, but let's talk about where the money would go if this is approved. As I mentioned, $6 billion would go to higher education. Of that, $2 billion each goes to community colleges, California State University, and the University of California. And then there would be $9 billion for K-12. Can you share a little bit more of a detailed breakdown of the overall bond allocation? Sure, particularly for K-12 at this point, yeah. So of that $9 billion, 5.2 5.2 would go towards renovations, and 2.6 billion would be allocated for new construction. That's different from in the past. Usually it's 50-50, but it's a recognition now that basically student enrollment is declining in many parts of the state, so that you need more for renovation than, in fact, you do for new construction. So that's um, 8 billion, and then there's 500 million for charter schools to build their own facilities, and $500 million for career technical facilities. And, and that's what is for, that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah for um, career tech would be, you know, whether it's metal shops or it's, uh, it's um, biology labs and the like that are part of your career pathways um, to, that lead to community college, and, and it's more vocational we call it career tech. It used to be the old vocac, mm-hmm. vocad, but uh, and they're about you know three dozen, and they cost they're different, and they're different facilities. So the feeling was separate that so that they don't get lost, and they're very important. When you say that we need you know more for renovation now than than for new construction, what qualifies as new construction as opposed to renovation? Like if a school that already exists is building entirely new buildings, is that new construction or is it renovation? Yeah, well, it's an existing building uh, and. And you're redoing the roof or you're putting in insulation. You're dealing with lead in your water. Um, and whether it's an addition, got me. I don't know if that's new or renovation. But basically, it's like your own home. When you renovate, think of it analogous to that as opposed to building a new school, new wing. Can you say any more about the $2 billion each that would go to community college, CSU, and UC to those systems? Is that also for similar projects, renovations? It is. And uh, the uh, issue, though, there's a qualification one for the UC and CSU that it really has to consider both, well, seismic for sure, seismic repairs, but also for student housing, since that is a critical need. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, so that has to be part of their plan. CSU and UC come up with a list of projects. They take it to the chancellor's office or the president's office, and then they go to the legislature for approval. Uh, it's different with K-12. There's a different office, and you qualify, and you go through. You don't go through the legislature for that. One thing with regard to housing is some of the bonds that I know the districts are raising now will go for teacher housing. Um, there are dozens, I'd say a couple dozen at least, on the next uh, March 3rd ballot that will be building facilities for teachers. That actually doesn't qualify for state help, but... Uh, oh, why not? Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't. Um, I, mainly, I guess, because it's supposed to probably, I could be wrong, uh, the revenue will come from the rents, 
Um, and uh, it and maybe someday it will change, but that's just, I mean, there, there are a number of things. If you build a swimming pool, that doesn't qualify, <laughs> and some of the tech uh, renovations don't qualify for state matching funding either, but your traditional renovation does. Yeah, I wonder if you could dig into that a little bit more because you've mentioned lead in the pipes now a couple of times, which of course is a very serious concern because if you have you know drinking fountains contaminated with lead at a school, major health concern. Um, on the lead pipes issue, you mentioned that this was built in specifically into into the measure. What What is the mechanism? Yeah, it's $150 million will be set aside for testing and then replacing uh, pipes in your water systems that have lead in schools. It's a really serious issue. We've identified EdSource has done uh, some work. Actually, go to our EdSource site and find out what schools have been tested and what the lead level is. And it's been recognition we really have to deal with this. And so that's a higher priority. Schools that come in with this um, will get stand in line uh, in the front of a line. Mm-hmm. Can you say a little bit more about what other uh, projects this kind of funding could go to? I mean, when we say renovation, I might be thinking of a gym or I might be thinking of a new roof or maybe there's a seismic issue, as you mentioned. What are some of the different projects that might qualify? Yeah, all of the above and then more. Um, there are a lot of I went out to Fresno, actually, uh, to do a video about their needs because they're a they have old buildings. I mean, you know, m- most of the time we renovate our house within, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, some of those buildings have been around for 50, 60, 70 years. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's wear and tear. And uh, many things that we used to call portables are no, not portables. And they, as anyone knows, it goes to an <laughs> elementary district. They've been there and they're solid and they're not going away. But uh, a lot of them have problems. A lot of them have mold. Uh, a lot of them need air conditioning. Uh, when I was in an elementary school in Fresno, it can get hot in Fresno in the summer, and they use this, what they call the, sw- the swamp cooler as air conditioning on the top. It gets hot in Fresno schools, and that's one of the things they would do in Fresno. And for every district, has its own repairs that need to be done, um, electrical upgrades uh, and the like. Yeah, I was looking at that video and I thought it was very interesting because one of the issues that you looked into with that reporting was the disparity in how state funds in the past have been allocated to schools. And schools that already have more resources tend to be more likely to get state funding, whereas the ones that are already under-resourced really struggle. How did that happen? It's, um, uh, I think it's uh, influence of those people who have get more and I think the construction building industry liked the way the system worked. It was first come, it has been first come, first served. And in other words, you get your application in, you get the state match. And it's not based on how wealthy you are. And this, the match has been, it, it has been 50 cents on a dollar for a new construction. You put up a dollar, we'll give you a uh, dollar, and now, and renovation has been more out of every dollar, I should have said. The state contributes 65%, and the um, district's 35%, or 65 cents on a dollar versus 35 cents, and for new construction, it's 50 cents and 50 cents. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this change, and it's really interesting about this, is that this issue was raised um, in the Stanford Getting Down a Fact study, they did Jeff Vincent from Berkeley looked at this issue and pointed out these inequities. There are, there are districts with lots of low-income families, don't have a lot of money to spend on their property taxes, and not a lot of property taxes to pay for it per student. So mm-hmm. that's, that's, 
a property, what we call a property poor district. Fresno was one of those. And so the governor, you know, he's, when he campaigned in the Central Valley, he went around to schools and heard this. You know, we can't raise the money that we need, A, because our families can't afford it, and B, we just don't have that assessed value to, to raise enough money. And so Assembly Bill 48 came in, and it was going to perpetuate the same system. And the, Remind me what Assembly yeah, Bill 48 is. Assembly Bill 48 is the basically is all the terms of the construction bond. Mm-hmm. It, that it was in legislative form, and the legislature had to pass a bill to put the bond on the ballot. And it was Assembly Bill 48. And then it went to the governor. He said, "Well, wait a minute. You know, I, I know there's a problem there. There's an equity problem. I've seen, you know, I've been to the schools. Jeff Vincent documented it. So we're going to change this system. If you want a bond." We're going to change the rules. It was really interesting in this last session. It was one of the final things that was passed was a new system that, in fact, has a priority system for who gets the in line first and also um, additional subsidies for what we call low income and low property wealth. Let me correct a mistake. Okay. <laughs> it was, it's actually 60-40. It has been the match on renovation. The state would put up 60 cents to 40 cents for the for a district in terms of the matching funds under this new system of a district like Fresno could get an extra 5%. It would go to 65 instead of 60 and the state match um, and it would put up 35 cents instead of 40. So that's where the equity comes in. It's not a huge difference, but it's certainly significant for poor districts. So it sounds like there are multiple things happening here. So first of all, we have this disparity and we've studied it and we, we know that it exists in terms of which districts get state funding. Right. Um, and now with Prop 13, if it passes, yes. there will be a different allocation system mm-hmm. um, from what we've had up until now. So we've had sort of first come, first serve. Right. How will it work now? Obviously, if you have lead in your pipes, you have a priority there. But how else could you sort of jump ahead if your need is great? Right. So it sets up priority. Certainly the projects that are in most dire shape. You know, you really need to repair this building. It's got mold, and students should be in this building. That's number one, and number and lead is also up there. And also smaller districts. There are small districts that have such low property values, they, they can't even do a renovation at all. And so they're going to be additional help for them, and they're, they're second in line. Okay, so they get right, a, additional right. funding as well as getting higher priority. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and then uh, districts that have this formula that need help because they have low property wealth and lots of low-income families, they're in line in that next priority there. But, and so I can, you can hear folks saying from your wealthy districts, boy, I'm not going to get any money. But the way it, it, it technically, a clause was added that if you've been shut out of the first couple rounds, then you go to the head of a line in the third round. Because not all the bond issue money is issued at one time. It's issued over time. The state sort of doles out the money in pieces. And so if you don't get it this time, then the third time around, you get the priority. One part of the proposal that surprised me was the inclusion of a fee reduction for residential developers. You wrote, school districts can charge fees to residential developers to defray the cost of new students the development would bring. Prop 13 would reduce the fees on multi-residential developments by 20% for the next five years 
and it would also eliminate developer fees for apartment complexes and other multifamily residential developments built within a half mile of a major transit stop. How would districts make up for that revenue loss? Yeah, that would raise property taxes of everyone else. Uh-huh. And I don't think it's a significant amount. Um, it has the, you know, develop, the idea behind developer fees is that I'm going to build a development and I, and you're increasing the number of kids. So I'm going to contribute, I'm obligated to contribute to the cost of that new school. That's where developer fees come in. And I think that the reason we're giving a, a help here from multi-residential is that we want to encourage more housing because we need, we're short of housing. And so we want, that's the way the governor is saying, and we'll encourage it by reducing the developer fees for the next five years, 20%. And then, you know, there's this whole thing about, we do want to encourage, resi- um, we do want to encourage development near transit lines, right? Get traffic off the street. And so that's an incentive to do that. But there's- the difference, you're right. The difference will be other property taxpayers will make up the difference. I don't think it's significant in a lot of districts and probably not relevant in some. Well, John, before we run out of time here, is there uh, a place you would recommend that voters go to further inform themselves on Proposition 13? Well, uh, I happen to know of one place, and uh, it's edsource.org. Uh, we, we, cover all, we cover education from early ed through college and universities, and we're pretty much on top of this issue for sure, and I encourage people to go and check it out. And uh, we'll be continuing to write about this issue. So. Well, thanks so much for talking with me about Prop 13 today. Thanks for asking. That was John Fensterwald, a staff writer at EdSource. I'm Laura Wenis, and you've been listening to Civic. Civic is a production of the San Francisco Public Press, a nonprofit investigative news organization, sfpublicpress.org. Host and reporter, Laura Wenis. Producer and contributor, Mel Baker. Our theme music is by John Dillon. Additional themes from The Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for listening.